Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everybody. Thanks again for popping by this edition of Just Getting Started as promised. Stephen A. Smith. The multi-hyphenate, the incredibly successful, maybe you might say the most successful person in all of sports media right now, is our guest on Just Getting Started. As promised, joined by my dear friend Stephen A. Smith, who I can say I knew Stephen A. Smith before he was Stephen A. Smith when he was Stephen A. Smith. (laughs) I want to thank you for coming on with me on Just Getting Started because you and I are old friends. And when I say old, I don't mean that we are old. Uh, though we're old, but <laughs> I've known you since before you were the phenomenon that you are now. I knew you when you were just kind of an amazing writer and someone with a voice and an attitude, but watching your meteoric rise for me has made my heart so happy. Yeah. Well, first of all, love you dearly. <laughs> uh, you know, it's great seeing you. I was just on the show with your husband the other day, and every time I see him, I smile because... He always seems he always great at what he does, but he seems so happy. And we we all know you got you have everything to do with that. Um, but the thing about it is, is for those that don't know, we were at Fox Sports together. Um, you know, at the at the turn of the century, we we made the, I was there from two thousand to two thousand and three, and that's when we got to know each other. You were always always wonderful to me, always real, and we've always been friends ever since. And it's it's more than 20 years and counting, and hopefully it'll be 20 more years and longer than that that we're both here doing what we do. Well, I would hope so. We had a really good time watching the Lakers when they were the Lakers. There That's I said true. it. But, I mean, we were there We were there for the most special three years except for the, you know, you could look back at some of the 70s Lakers or what have you or the 80s Lakers. Obviously, we have uh, our friend Jeff Perlman's book coming out, Winning Time on Showtime, as we talking about that time. But when we were there... The holy trinity of Phil and Kobe and Shaq. Every day was a soap opera. And I don't know about you, but I look back at that as some some of the purest times that you could really enjoy the game of basketball and watch the triangle unfold. Well, I think to some degree you're right, but what made it so pure, unfortunately, is the depreciation that we experience today. Everything appears to be so choreographed everything is about spin and turn instead of what's real there was an authenticity that came with Shaq sometimes playful sometimes harsh there was an all the authenticity that came with Kobe Bryant and we knew how raw he could be and how real he could get and when they went on the court uh, to see them go at opponents to take whatever ire they were experiencing for whatever reason out on the opponent it was like you you just knew that it obviously was something special. Sure, it came with expectations. Sure, it being in L.A. and the allure of Tinseltown and as your backdrop with everything that was transpired definitely consists of all of that. But you got to have the personalities to back it up. Like, for example, you wearing the purple and gold, 
but you Tim Duncan. It wouldn't have been the same. Mm-mm. You know what I'm saying? Mr. Fundamental goes about his business and, you know, just just takes you apart, picks you apart, win championships. Yeah, that's great. And that would have made the town special. But when you have personalities like Shaq, like Kobe, like Phil Jackson, with the resume that he brought from Chicago to Los Angeles, that all made it that much better. And then to go from that to, you know, just the sunshine, you know, and just, you know, the beautiful weather, Southern California is your backdrop as well. I mean, that's that's what all made it memorable. I've never I never, ever, ever cared about being out west Mm-mm. until I came out here and was experiencing those Laker games. Uh, I was in, you know, in Sacramento with the uh, Western Conference Finals when they were going against Vlade Divac and Bibby and Petrovic uh, or, or, you know, all of these guys, Chris Webber, all of them. I remember all of that. And it was some of the greatest, greatest experiences and the greatest moments I ever had in my life. Some of the most fun interviews I did was with Vlade and he'd stink of cigarette smoke. You were sure there was vodka in his water bottle instead of water. (laughs) But some of those games up there with the cowbells and all that, we don't have that anymore. And it just made covering that team so much fun. But you talked about personality. This podcast is called Just Getting Started because I truly believe people need inspiration. They need to know how they can Mm -hmm. turn their lives around and they need to know how they can build. So I want to talk about you. This is all about you. And I want to know how it was that you found a way to channel your personality the way that you did so that you became Stephen A. Smith, even though we know that you were the same person that you were when I met you and the same person that you were growing up. So what was it in your childhood or what was your relationship like with sports that maybe fueled you to head in this direction? You know, I'm in the process of writing my memoir and I talk about it in there, in there as well. I, you know, my mother and father were married for 61 years uh, before they both passed away in 2017 and 2018, respectively. Um, I had an incredibly close relationship with my mother who knew nothing about sports. I did not have a good relationship with my father who knew everything about sports. And so when you're young and you're a boy, you want your father's approval. And my father was watching sports. And so for me to be able to do sports, to banter back and forth with him, to have an opportunity to express my knowledge that I was gathering and gaining, elevated his level of respect for me, to me. Mm -hmm. And as a result, it helped build and uh, build a level of confidence and embolden me in ways that I don't think anything else could have because back at that time at a very young age, because I was struggling in school so miserably, I wasn't very confident at all. And sports essentially corrected all of that. And my watching sports with my father and listening to his complaints and listening to how he dissected things and what he was saying and why, and then be fascinated because he'd say it before the commentator called in the game said it. So that validated for me that he really, really knew what he was talking about. And that was when I looked at the medium itself and said, wow, if I did that one day, I would do it just like this, you know, because it tied in with my personality. It was real and authentic. And more importantly, I felt it would have longevity because what better way to live your life and to pursue an occupation than one that allows you to be yourself. That's something that's sustainable if it works, being yourself. 
And when I finally got into journalism and I ended up on television, you know, right for the newspapers and elevating myself to being a general sports columnist, one of only 21 African-Americans who were a general sports columnist in this country's history, to going on radio, to going on television. At the end of the day, I knew that the only way I had a chance of having an extended, successful career was to be myself. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and in all facets, you know, television helps me now. I was far more serious uh, back in the day because I felt like, you know what, I had to show and prove that I was worthy, that I was worthy. But at this stage and point in my career, it's like I'm having a good time and I can be whatever the <laughs> hell I want to be. And all of those things, I laugh, I cry, I get upset, you know, I'm self-deprecating, I make a fool of myself. It's no big deal because these are all the things that come along with me being me. And I knew very early on that the best chance I had of being successful was when I was sitting with my dad watching those sporting events, primarily Yankee games, okay, and Knicks games. I knew that was my best chance at having a successful life because that would require me to be myself, and I was good with that. So how did you go from sitting with your dad and hoping to have that bond develop between the two of you to heading into Fashion Institute of Technology in New York? Because I'm trying to figure out this connection here. I was playing ball in the streets of New York. We were very, very poor, and I wasn't a part of the um, sponsored AAU programs and what have you. And so when I played sports and I ultimately ended up playing for the varsity team at Thomas Edison High School in New York, I was 5'9", 130 pounds soaking wet, (laughs) and I didn't have anybody knocking down my door for Scott to offer scholarships. So Thomas Edison had a tournament at Fashion Institute of Technology uh, over a weekend. And I showed up there over the holiday season rather than it was just a two day tournament. And over the weekend, um, I dropped 27 points in one game. And the coaches there looked at me on the spot. We love you. You know, we don't offer full scholarships. It's only partial scholarships and financial aid. But we, we think that you've got some potential. We're a junior college. We rank 15th in the nation. We think that you can do something here. So, so I, you know, I, I, I didn't have anything else. Anybody else knocking on my door. So I snatched at it just to make sure that I was a part of a program uh, with plans uh, to take that and, and ho- ultimately earn a four, you know, a scholarship at a four-year institution. And that's what I ended up doing once once the Salem State came along. So this wasn't like a Russell Westbrook, like you maybe had an inkling that you wanted to be in fashion. This was just a means. Oh, to no, 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 well, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I knew I wanted to be in communication, but it damn sure wasn't fashion, especially back then. I was lucky if I had three outfits. I wasn't much of, of a fashion guy anyway. Um, and, you know, once I went to the school, you think about advertising and what have you, but it was really because of the communications part. I knew that I didn't necessarily want to be in advertising. But what I did want to do was be in some form of communication, whether it was print journalism, broadcast journalism, or whatever. I knew that I could do that. I knew that I wanted to do that. But I also knew that I was leaving FIT. So the reason I picked advertising and communications is that I knew most of those credits would be transferable. Mm. So when I ended up going to Winston-Salem State, I had three years to go. Okay. But I had accumulated about 30 credit hours in that year and a half. So because I did that, those were the 30 credits I could transfer to Winston-Salem State. 
and I'd be able to graduate in, in four years. So how good were you down there? I don't think I was very good. I mean, if you talk to me about being a baller on the street, I was pretty damn good. Uh, but when you're playing organized basketball, you're only as, as good as the time that you spend playing and the numbers that you produce. And in my case, the numbers were very low. I was small. I was coming off the bench. My play was sporadic. I'd come in and play and drop 20 points one game. Another game, I dropped two. I was very inconsistent in that regard. And I was weak mentally because I was constantly petrified of the coach pulling me out of the game. I've never gone against any opponent in basketball and was scared. Because I always felt that, you know, as my coach would say, you know, Coach Big House at Winston-Salem State later would say, and the late, great John McClendon, who invented the fast break and learned the sport under James Naismith and all of this stuff, he was a mentor to Coach Gaines. He used to come to our practices, and they used to look at me and say, you're the only guy we've ever seen in our lives who takes a jump shot and is actually shocked he misses. You know, you just because I look, I'd look at it, I would follow my shot. I'd look like me, miss, ain't going to happen because that's how good of a shooter I thought I was. My problem was, is that I was petrified of the coach. I always turned my head the second I made a mistake was looking for the coach to take me out of the game in organized ball. And as a result, I was scared to take chances because I didn't want to get pulled from the game. Whereas when you're playing summer ball or when you're playing in the streets, full court games, things of that nature, no, you in or you out. You know, you're not coming out of the game because of a coach. And as a result, I would be free and easy and I would always be one of the better players. But when it came to playing organized basketball, the coaches scared me. So it was a valuable lesson that I took when I ultimately got into this business because I was able to critique and dissect the mental aspect of a player. I knew when a player just wasn't doing something well because they couldn't. They didn't have the ability. And I also knew when they didn't do those things because mentally they were knocked out because they were scared to death of a coach, of a particular opponent, even in some cases, one of their own teammates. I knew all of that kind of stuff because of the experiences I went through. I wonder how that experience being scared impacted you as a broadcaster, impacted you as you made your way up. Because oftentimes, as you know, being scared can fuel you to achieve heights that you've never achieved, never dreamed of achieving before. Well, I would tell you that it influenced me greatly from the standpoint that I knew, for example, when it comes to basketball, I know basketball. When it comes to sports, I mean, I, I know football from watching it. I know baseball from watching it, boxing and stuff like that. I know that stuff. And I know enough of it to be able to interview you and ask you questions and things of that nature. But Susie, when it comes to basketball, I'm really asking you as a technicality. I know the answer. I just want to see whether or not you're going to lie to me about it. That's really the difference between me covering basketball and covering every other sport, because I know the nooks and crannies of it all. And I also study it in a way where I'm looking for certain things. When I go to a team or I go to a player, I've spoken to them ahead of time about what their definition of success is, whether and I evaluate whether it vibes with my thought of what their success, what their definition of success should be. Then I judge the actions accordingly as the season goes on. And I've been that way since day one in my career. I've always followed it from that from that standpoint. And so when I talk basketball with guys and they've attacked me or come at me, you don't know what the hell you're talking about, whatever, whatever. We can sit down and have a conversation. And by the time I said, bring your boys, since you're so bold, since you know, 
let's have this conversation. And then they quickly learn, no, that's not the case. He does know. He does know what he's talking about. Even if they disagree with me, they know that I know what I'm talking about. And so those are the kind of things that, you know, it influenced my career tremendously because it gave me a confidence I never had anywhere else. Yeah, where's that come? Where does that come from? Where does that this confidence come from? Knowledge, experience, a willingness to work hard, and not fearful, um, not being scared to admit you're wrong. You know, you have to be able to do those things. There's a level of humanity that has to come along with it. You know, if you know you're studied, you're learned, you put in the work you have a thorough understanding of what it is that you're talking about. That doesn't mean you're going to be right all the time. I mean, because your perspective might be off. But if you know you've done all of those things, then you can approach somebody with the level of confidence necessary in order to be what you need to be based on the position that you have. And so for me, that it came from all of those things, but more importantly, my experiences. Because like I told you when I was younger, I didn't have the confidence. I had gone through a lot. In the home, outside of the home, in the neighborhood, outside of the neighborhood, you know, things that I accomplished, a lot of failures. You know, I got I got left back for crying out loud when I was in the fourth grade. So you think about these kind of things. And when you go through all of that, you get to a point where you're not worried about the ramifications of being wrong, of not knowing or whatever the case may be, because you've been there before and that you realize it's okay. All you're going to do is grow. It's almost the same philosophy that I use when it comes to debating. I always tell people, I've never lost a debate, ever. And they're like, who the hell does he think he is? I'm either right or I've learned something new by being wrong, Mm -hmm. which makes me brighter, you know, more intelligent about that particular issue we were broaching, which means I'm a winner because I'm going to be better for it than I was before we started the debate. How did I lose? And that's how I look at it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. What was life like in Hollis, Queens growing up? I mean, you did grow up with some of the more interesting uh, people in entertainment as they've made their way through life. And some of them who have come from very little, but have become the most successful people that are out there. Well, looks can be deceiving. You have, you, you had single family homes in Hollis, Queens, but make no mistake about it. It was poor. Um, in my case, it was excessively so. Um, holes in the roof, no heat in the house, sitting by the oven, oven open, turning on the gas just so heat can emanate from it so you don't freeze. Um, rats, roaches, um, you know, well fed one time, 
government cheese and bread, all of that stuff that you hear about that, you know, that people have endured at some point in time or another, poverty and deprecation, that was a part of my life. And so, you know, drug drug dealers right down the block, crime everywhere, all of that stuff. It definitely was something that engulfed uh, Hollis Queens to such a, to some degree, uh, not to the degree of projects, people that's living in the projects, you know, one on top or one another. It wasn't as congested as that, obviously. Um, so it wasn't as bad as that, but it was bad enough. And so when you went out into the streets, you know, everybody's looking for a way out. It's going to be sports, the hip hop genre, you know, the, you know, hip hop genre kicks in. Is that going to be the way out? Um, how are you going to get up out of here? Um, and your definition of success was just essentially trying to get to college so you can get an education and get a good job. You didn't fantasize about much else, which is why guys like Run DMC and LL Cool J, you know, these guys were so incredibly, incredibly important because it was a different way, the hip hop genre, it was a different way. You know, you saw Kenny Smith and Kenny Anderson and Queens playing basketball. Yeah, you knew that athletic way, uh, but you were looking for any old way that you could find where you could dream big because for the most part, you're not dreaming big. All you're dreaming about is getting out. All you're dreaming about is getting a nice, steady job, pay you a decent income. But hopefully, you can buy a home one day and be a homeowner. That was where, um, for the most part, your dreams resided. And you were just looking for a way out. And that's, that's how it was growing up. So what was day one like when you came out of school? And you had your first job and you were on your way. My first job in the business was as a high school reporter for the New York Daily News. Months earlier, however, my brother had died in October of 1992. And I came home Christmas of 1992. And I had kept in touch with the sports editor of the New York Daily News, sending him clips that I had accumulated when I was writing for the Greensboro News and Record. Because remember, I went to college in Winston-Salem, but I did, I had a job as an editorial assistant mm -hmm. out of college at the Greensboro News and Record. Calendar items, school lunch menus, birth listings, all that agate stuff that you see in newspapers. Stuff. I was doing that in my time from eight to four. And then at night, I was covering high school football for free just so I could accumulate clips to send to the sports editors throughout the country, hoping that I would get a sports writing job. And so the New York Daily News, um, I contacted a, a sports editor there. His name was Kevin Whitmer. And I said to him, I just want to attach a face to the name and meet you for two minutes. And I promise you, I'm not going to take any longer. And I'm big on that. Don't take people, don't take more people's time than you ask, because then they won't want to give you their time. Mm -hmm. I always remembered that. And so I went to meet him and I just shook his hand, handed him additional clips, said, I just want to attach a face to the name. Thank you for listening to me and viewing my work. And I hope you continue to do that in the future. I'm looking for a job. I'm unemployed, um, but I'm hoping to land somewhere. And he said to me, and I thanked him. I turned around to walk out and he said, hey, would you be interested in doing some freelance work? He said, I don't have a job for you, but you do some freelance work. I said, sure. And 
the freelance work that he was paying me, it was like $1,500 an article. Well, Susie, when I was in Greensboro News and Record as an editorial assistant, I made $15,100 a year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So here I was, $1,500. I do 10 of these bad boys. That'll be what I made for a year. I'm good. This is good. Right? And so sure, one article turned into three, three turned into five, five, and it turned into 10, 10, 10 turned into 15 because uh, they liked the work that I was doing and loved my hustle. And then I got offered a job, um, uh, an intern, a Met Pro internship program. That was when the Los Angeles Times and New York Newsday collaborated with one another to offer internships. And when they did that, um, they were offering internships to 24 people. But there were 3,000 candidates. I was one of the 24 chosen. Because while other people had their resumes, I had 250 published clips from my internship at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Winston-Salem Journal, Greensboro News and Record. And so they hired me. Um, they wanted me to come on as an intern, rather one of the 24. And I went to the New York Daily News. And I said, this is an opportunity for me to be a full-time reporter. It's pretty hard to turn it down. And he said, would it be hard to turn it down if we offered you a job as a full-time sports writer covering high schools? And I said, okay, you know, what are we talking about here? You know, no disrespect. I'm appreciative of the opportunity. He said, we'll pay you $53,500. dollars $15, $15,100. <laughs> $53,500. I think I'm going to take the 53000 And that's how it all started. And I went from there and here I am. Why do you think you resonate so much? Because <clears throat> I believe it's because people know they can trust me to say what I truly mean. It doesn't mean I'm going to be right. It doesn't mean they're not going to disagree with me. But they know they can trust me to be who the hell I say I am. That when I say something, I actually mean it. And I'm not saying it for effect. And I'm not saying it for ratings. And I'm not saying it for clicks or just so you can read my article. I want you to do those things because I want to get paid. But I mean what I say. And I'm fearless with it. And I think that they see this fearlessness um, that, I'm, that I approach, this courage that I approach my job with. And I think you combine that with the fact that I say the things that people think and say off the air, but they don't believe can be said on the air. I think that's how it all started. And the fact that as I climb, I've still remained that guy, that part of me has not has not betrayed them. I think that's the answer to your question. I wonder why you appeal so broadly across different spectrums, why you appeal, it seems, to black and white audiences equally. Why do you believe that is the case? I think that what I just said I also think the fact that um, I'm fair. Mm. I'm a black man and I am proud. There's nothing else I'd want to be. And I love my community and I love my people. I love where I'm from. I love my culture. I love who I am. But that does not mean I'm going to be unfair to people who look different than me, 
who come from different backgrounds and have different identities and cultural backgrounds and stuff like that. No, right is right, wrong is wrong. And people know that about me. There's plenty of times, you know, I, I think one of the people think that this is a bad thing and they don't know me very well. I've got white folks at times calling me racist. I have black folks at times calling me a sellout, a coon. Well, that means both sides have a problem with me. Good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because last time I checked, when you sign up to become a journalist, you're not supposed to care. What you're supposed to care about is being in tireless pursuit of the truth as you see it, according to the facts that are presented to you. That's what you're supposed to be doing. That's your obligation. And when people come at me like that, it's a reminder to me that I have fulfilled the obligation that I signed up for. I signed up to be a journalist. I signed up to be somebody that would pursue truth and in pursuit of that truth would be as fair minded as I could be in acquiring it and disseminating it. And I think that I have lived up to that throughout my career. And so knowing that about myself, yeah, you're going to have people who love and hate you, but you're also going to you're going to have people who hate you, but you're also going to have people who love you. And they're going to be people that come from different communities that don't necessarily look like you or whatever, because they're going to look at you and they're going to say he's fair. And guess what? As a black man, what am I asking from different communities throughout this country to be fair? How can I ask of that? Any one of that, if I'm not willing to do that myself. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's the greatest misconception about you? Mm, that I don't care. Um, mm. That, you know, when people think that uh, I, I'm cruel, I really check myself. I think about that real quick because I don't want to be that way. I want to be straight up. I want to be no nonsense, no BS, but I don't want to be cruel. I'm not that guy. Um, I want people to be able to feed their families. I want people to smile and laugh and have a good time. I don't want to contribute to people's demise. I've never rooted against anyone. I root for me. I root for people to succeed, but I don't root against anybody. Um, I think that's a misconception. Yes. And I think the biggest misconception is that I'm screaming all the time. Mm -hmm. That is far from the truth. I mean, I'm I'm pretty damn mellow when I'm away off camera. I would dare say call. I'd call you quiet. Yeah, I, I, you know, I wouldn't go that far. I can be. But the biggest thing about me is that when I'm on the television or in front of the microphone for radio or anything else. I'm asking you to listen and watch me. If I'm not excited about doing it, why should you be? So it's it's. You know, the biggest thing is not judging a book by its cover and not ever thinking I'm one dimensional because I am not a one dimensional dude. I don't believe in it. I don't like it. I don't like one dimensional people. I think versatility is always the way to go as opposed to being a one trick pony. And I pride myself on being versatile. What haven't you done that you want to do? I want to host 
my own late night show. I know I did it one night filling in for Jimmy Kimmel, but that's a dream of mine. I want to host a late night show. Um, and, uh, I want to build my own production company. Um, and I, you know, I think about that a lot and I even might entertain getting into some more acting, but the biggest answer to your question is to host a late night show. That's what I want to do. I want to celebrate the greatness that people are putting out here in the world of entertainment for years and years to come. I want to be somebody um, like Jimmy Kimmel. I want to be somebody like, you know, uh, Stephen Gobert and Jimmy Fallon and those guys. I'm always going to be Stephen A. I'm never going to try to be anybody else. But when I say be like them, in turn, I mean in terms of enjoying the success that they have richfully earned. You know, they they laugh. They make us laugh. They enjoy our lives. Uh, they make life a lot of fun. They remind you that even in serious times, there's always a reason to smile. There's always a reason to look forward to the to tomorrow. And I think that what they've done for our society as a whole uh, is underappreciated. I know it. I've always suspected it. But I certainly knew it the night that I, Jimmy Kimmel blessed me with the opportunity to host this show. And that's something that I'll be eternally grateful to him and to Walt Disney for allowing me to do that because it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. What's your last thing? What's your, what is your advice that you would give those who are listening to this, watching this, who are kind of looking for some inspiration so that they can get just, they can just get started as well. Believe in yourself, understand who you are and understand that people who are in your path trying to stop you, they're supposed to be there. God tells us all, we can have a lot of things in life. We can prosper. We can be fruitful and multiply. We can do all of these things. He never said it comes without effort. He never said it comes without sacrifice. And he never said it comes without struggles along the way. But it's there to validate for you in your own mind that when you finally achieve the things that you have been after, you never question it because you know you earn it. Life is about what you earn, not what's been given to you, because even when it's given to you, somebody had to earn it to be in a position to give it to you to begin with. Be humble. Be appreciative of that. Put your head down. Keep grinding and love the journey. Love the journey more than anything, because guess what? The journey is what it's all about. You achieve something. It's there. It's done. Now what? What you got to hold on to is the journey that you travel to get to that point. That makes you who you are even more than you thought thought it would. Remember that and continue to march forward. Can you imagine that little boy that you used to be, knowing who he is now? What would you tell that little boy? I'm truly blessed. I'm very, very lucky. The only negative that I can genuinely say about my life and where it is now is that my mother is not here to enjoy it with me. That's it. There's nothing else that I would complain about. No matter how tough it gets, there's nothing else that I would complain about. The only complaint about looked if I had the opportunity to look God in the face, be like, if there's one thing I wish I had right now, is that she was here to enjoy it. That's it. Can't tell you how much I appreciate the talk with you. I just feel like I'd love to have people get to know you a bit the way I know you. So selfishly speaking, I'm glad that we got to take this time. Well, I appreciate it, but you know me because... I love you and I wanted you to know me. There's a lot of people I don't want to know me. I like them guessing. <laughs> Isn't that the truth, Stephen? Thank you for your time. 
Take care, Susie. That was Stephen A. Smith on Just Getting Started. It was really nice to have him in because I feel like, as I said to him, I know a different side of him than people see when they watch SportsCenter or First Take or what have you. He's not loud. He's thoughtful and, and impactful and supportive. And we had a lot of really great nights watching that Lakers back-to-back-to-back and just watching all the teams that came out in the drama, drama. Talk about drama. He's in town in Los Angeles to shoot General Hospital. So um, for those of you that love him on General Hospital, he will be back in this recurring role. He's been on it for years. He was also, and I think I love my wife with Chris Rock. He can act. The man can act. He's a multi-hyphenate. What can I say? I hope you've enjoyed this edition of Just Getting Started. Many more where that came from. Some diverse names from all across sports and entertainment. As always, if you have ideas that you want to have some people be interviewed, reach out to us at Just Getting Started. We will be populating a Twitter account shortly because God knows I don't have my own because I just cannot stomach (laughs) social media that much. Probably the wrong person to have a podcast, but what can I say? But love to hear from you as well. But we will be back to you shortly with just getting started. More guests, more great names, right where you found this very podcast. Thanks for dropping by and taking the time. See you soon.